Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, the community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. My name is Jason Jensen, and I'm a member here at Christ Church. Our pastor is taking a bit of a break, and so you're going to hear from the likes of me this morning. We're in a series looking at the church from the book of Acts. The vision of our church is to be a community coming home to Jesus and his church. And we spent the first year of this church's existence, most of it, looking at Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Now we're looking at the young church in the book of Acts, which is like part two of Luke's Gospel. The same author continuing the story of what Jesus is doing in the world. And let me say, the book of Acts is staggering. It's amazing. The Spirit is moving with power in this young church, and it's increasing day to day to day. Friends, let me start by saying this is our story. This community, Christ Church Madison, and I mean you all, not the high school gym or the stuff, this community is very special. And the power of God is on the move among us. People are coming home to Jesus and his church here. People are being transformed, being touched, being loved, being known meeting the very God of the universe in this place. The Holy Spirit is moving in power. And the book of Acts is our story. Not just an old story from a book. So I want to invite you, humor me and believe that this morning. Let's believe that the Spirit is present in power to transform, to change our minds, to touch us, to give us an encounter with the living God. Would you raise your expectations this morning to hear from the Lord in the Word? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we turn our hearts to you. We turn our attention to you. Thank you for your love. Lord Jesus, light of the world, word of God, we pray that you would shine in our hearts and show us the way. We invite you, Jesus, to illuminate things about ourselves we need to know. We invite you to lead us forward in our path. Bring us home. Holy Spirit of God, we pray that you would breathe upon us. Would you rise up in our hearts, Lord? Would you bring forth belief in us? Would you bring forth hope and joy? We give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start with a story. I've been working with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for the last 30 years where 
a campus ministry organization working on university campuses across the students at UC Berkeley. As a student, before moving to Berkeley, I learned from who I considered to be the Jedi Masters of Bible study. These were amazing people who led us deep into the Word of God, and our lives were changed. The ministry was successful and growing. I experienced and I learned to lead in-depth, high-commitment Bible studies, and I learned everything from them, from commitments and how to study the Word to tactics and how to lead, how to drive deep engagement with the Scripture, how to draw a group together. It was amazing. When I came on staff with InterVarsity, I moved from Stanford in the south of the San Francisco Bay to Berkeley in the east. It was a very different context, but I brought all of my energy and zeal to the new work. So I recruited a high-commitment group of students to study the Gospel of Mark with me over their first year. It was a predominantly Chinese-American group, but with a sprinkling of others. We had two Egyptian-Americans in the group, two Latinos, two first-generation Filipino-Americans, and a couple of white people. It was an amazing group of people, and we dove in. And I did what I knew, what I'd learned from the Jedi Masters of Bible study. By mid-year, the students were disengaging, and I wasn't sure why. I began to hear back that some of my Jedi Master Bible study stuff wasn't quite working right for this group. I began to learn that some of my tactics for group engagement were actually more cultural than I had any idea about. And it began to dawn on me that I had a justice and equity problem in my Bible study. We'll return to the story later. In the meantime, let's read this Acts passage again. Page 9, I believe, in your bulletin. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up on preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. What they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands upon them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So first point out of the text is we have ourselves a church growth sandwich here. It frames the passage, the beginning of the passage in verse 1. 
and the end in verse 7 are these statements about the church expanding by the power of the Spirit. And then there's a bunch of stuff inside. Biblical scholars would call this an inclusio. I might call it a sandwich. There's something at the beginning and at the end of a text that tells you what it's about. And then there's a really important piece of meat in the center. This is a church growth sandwich. People are coming home to Jesus and his church in Acts chapter 6. But secondly, this church has a justice issue, a significant one. There's internal tension complaining between the Hellenists and the Hebrews in the Jerusalem church. Just to explain a moment, the Hellenists were the Jews in the Jerusalem church who spoke Greek at home, and the Hebrews were the Jews in the Jerusalem church who spoke Hebrew at home. Everybody spoke Aramaic, Aramaic in the marketplace, but it's an ethnic tension. There's complaint from one group to another. And then the text has no excuses that actually they were being neglected. The Hellenist widows were being neglected in this work of justice and mercy in the church. So chapter 2 and chapter 4 of Acts tell us that this church was a miraculous community because they shared everything in order to care for the poor among them. But it wasn't working so great. And what I think is amazing first in this passage is that there are no excuses or complexities or hemming and hawing about widows. Luke makes clear, the author, these widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the apostles, they don't say, well, it really depends on how you look at it. These people felt a little bit this way, but maybe if you look at it the other way, it's a little better. No, the apostles said, okay, everybody's getting together. We're going to deal with the justice issue in the church. We, in the U.S. and in Christ Church Madison, must look at issues of justice and equity in the eye and not avoid them. Like the church in Acts, where the Spirit was moving like it's moving among us. We need to look at them honestly, without flinching. I love that one of our church's core values is to focus on the lost and the least. Brothers and sisters, let's live out that core value together. Let's do it. In the midst of coming home to Jesus, and his church in between the sandwich of gospel growth. Let's pay attention. Let's face the issues of justice head on. Let's look a little bit at the church's response then to this unapologetic facing the issues. You may think that the apostles' initial response here is wimpy and avoidant. Doesn't it sound a little bit like that? 
well, let's give this to somebody else and we'll just focus on the ministry of the Word and prayer. We're going to go to our little study and have a nice, private, beautiful, lovely time with Jesus. I don't think so. And let me tell you a couple of reasons why. The first is that the apostles are courageously facing the greatest danger. Okay, so in Acts chapter 4, chapter 3 into 4, and then 5, the apostles have been thrown in prison. I ask you for what? Preaching the word in the name of Jesus. And in the latter one, they were threatened with death for that. So focus on the ministry of the word is the courageous response for the apostles in this case. And focus on prayer. We get a glimpse in chapter 4 of Acts. Look there later if you're curious at how this early church prayed. You know what? They prayed while the apostles were in jail that God would give them more boldness and zeal to preach the gospel and that God would perform miracles. They were facing into the danger. So how else was this a wise and courageous move? I believe the apostles' response was shaped by the word. They take pages from the playbooks of Moses and Jesus. Let's start with Moses. So checking out our reading that's on page 5-ish from Exodus 18, page 6. Thank you, Jack, the page man. So when Moses' father-in-law Jethro visits in the wilderness after the Israelites have been delivered from Egypt, he has a word from the Lord for Moses. That word is delegate. And check out the language of delegation that Jethro gives Moses. Choose able men, trustworthy, who hate a bribe. And then back to Acts, the apostles' language. Choose men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom. Don't you think they were thinking about Moses as they responded to this issue, they thought, we need to focus and lead into the most dangerous work. Let's multiply leadership in this place, just like Moses learned to do in the wilderness. Even more so, the apostles take Jesus' language, but it's a little bit less obvious. So let's look at that. Both, I'm glad both uh, the gospel passage and the Acts passage are on the same page. In Luke 22, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Who, for who's greater, one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you? As the one who serves, Jesus says. So, looking deeply into the Acts passage, this 
verb to serve is repeated. It's Luke, the same author, repeating the same verb. And the obvious one is serving tables. We'll say we will. But then later in the passage, the apostles say we will devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. The verb there, it's serving the word in the very same way. Serving at tables, I, Jesus, am among you as one who serves. We give the work of serving tables to these seven, and we will serve the word. The apostles have adopted this brilliant teaching of Jesus about leadership fundamentally as service. It helps us understand why the bar is so high for addressing this issue in the church, right? We've got a justice and distribution issue. And the apostles didn't say, hey, is there somebody in this big old community that's a great accountant? We just need some skills here to fix our problem. They also didn't say, could any of you spare just a few hours a week to volunteer and, and help this? No, they asked for people of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom because they saw that this is a high servant leadership role. In Anglicanism, the role of deacon, the ones who serve, is a role of spiritual leadership. So the apostles not only are facing into the danger in their response, but they're taking their strategy from Moses and from Jesus. Okay, so let's put these together and notice what happens in the response in the church. I believe it's a staggering countercultural use of resources and powers. Look first at the names of those who were appointed as these deacons to serve tables. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. These are all Hellenized names. found the whole community, discerned the people full of the Holy Spirit and called to lead, and they entrusted that leadership to those from the marginalized community in the conflict that they were having. Isn't that amazing? And the text just notices it, doesn't explain it. The disempowered party was given stewardship over the resources. And the pattern here is explained in chapter 4 and a little bit in chapter 2 that in fact they were given the whole budget of this giant growing operation that was thousands of people and the power of the Spirit moving. So what's described is the people had all things in common and what it looked like was people who had stuff sold their stuff and they put the money at the apostles' feet. Check out the end of chapter 4. That's what you find in Acts. 
They even give an example of a specific guy who sold his property and put the money at the, the apostles' feet. This strategy to address the inequity in the church was to put the whole budget in the hands of those who'd been underserved. It goes back to Jesus' statement in Luke 22. The kings of the Gentiles exercise authority, and those who lead, what's the word? Benefactors. The system of how leadership and power was stewarded in their day, and frankly in ours, meant that those in charge protect the resources. Those in charge control the distribution. But the apostles turned that on its head. In this transparent, growing group of people coming home to Jesus and the church, they made an absolutely countercultural move. What are the results? Seems like it worked and brought more growth to the church. In the end of the passage, we've been in this justice meat of the story, and we get to the other piece of bread at the other side of this little text, and it describes even more growth happening among the disciples. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Not just added. Added was earlier. 3,000 added in chapter 2, more added in chapter 3 and 4. Now they're multiplying. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Do you get the irony of that? Wouldn't you expect they addressed this justice issue and were better to the marginalized, Hellenized people, so boy, did those people start coming to church. But no, Luke gives us this wink. It's the power of Jesus at work in the church. It's the Hebrew of Hebrew of Hebrews that are added. More of the priests, the very center of the Hebrew culture became obedient to the faith. Isn't that beautiful? The power of God is poured out. So Christ Church, for us, in the midst of the miraculous good news of Jesus, the growth of the church, people coming home to the church, we will face issues of justice and equity. And we must face them head on. Let me confess at this point, I often avoid those issues. Particularly as a white American male who spent his adult life in progressive urban spaces. I often just want people to think that I'm woke, that I already get it. I'm one of the good white people, 
not the bad ones. Have you ever felt that, some of you? That's not the church. We look the issues of justice in the eye. We face what's happening in the world because why? Because we believe the power of God. Brothers and sisters, we don't avoid the issues of justice and equity in our society or in our church. Let's face them together and believe that Jesus will do miracles among us. He can touch even those places. If you're like me, I invite you not to pretend you're woke, but to become curious about what God might do in these places for the opportunity to pour out his power. Who will God bring home to Jesus and his church among us? Let's expand our imagination of who God is bringing home even today. Let's face them. Let's look them in the eye, these issues of equity and justice in our society and in our church. And our response needs to be just according to Scripture. What do we do when we face these intractable issues? We look to the Word. I am so grateful that in this community of Christ Church Madison, we love the Word of God. I'm so grateful for Scott and Marissa and the way that they love the Word of God and look to it and have their own lives transformed as they serve us. Let's look to the Word when we face the issues that are larger than ourselves. The Word will give us countercultural ways to approach power and resources and dynamics in the face of justice and equity issues. Back to my story for a moment. I thought that I was the young Padawan Jedi master of Bible study, but I ran into some significant issues of culture and voice and really power in that group. With the help of a particular spirit-filled wise leader, my boss at the time, Jerry Rodman, she helped me to take the power that I had with these students, power of position and time and voice and influence, and essentially turn the power over to them. So I paused the Bible study for a few weeks. We're not going on. We're not just turning the crank here. And I got together with each person in that group to have a conversation where the one agenda, how many agendas? Thank you very much. The one agenda was for me to learn. There would be no teaching. There would be no advising. There would be no defending. I asked what they experienced in our Bible study and how they experienced my leadership presence. An important question to ask, 
when you steward any kind of power or influence. What do you experience in my presence? I asked them what might help them engage more deeply with the Bible study. I asked if there's anything more that they felt nervous to tell me. Would they please share that? This turned out to be a goldmine for cultural and leadership learning for me. I learned about communication dynamics, conflict styles, cultural views of space and place and time and conversation and community process together. My conversation with each person, I thanked and apologized. I fed back what I was hearing and learning, made new commitments to change. And then I asked, do you want to continue with this Bible study? 100% of the group wanted more. And we all deepened our engagement. We all received deeply from Jesus in that space. The one-year commitment of the group moved to two. I've never had a deeper study in the Gospel of Mark, and that's something for someone who works with InterVarsity where we study Mark over and over and over again. Many of the students in that study are my friends today. Two weeks ago, I was in one of those students' house in San Diego, and they were hosting a party for my son's college graduation. Thanks be to God. What does this mean for our community coming home to Jesus and his church? Let me offer a few questions for us to reflect just a moment for. I'll give a little bit of space. It's warm. Don't snooze. Reflect. What are issues of justice or equity in our midst or in the community around us? You may, frankly, feel like the Hellenized widows in some way in this community some way neglected or marginalized. You may identify, maybe some people are marginalized in our community. Maybe you see it outwardly in your neighborhood. What are issues of justice and equity among us and around us? If you sense any of those, write a note. Because it takes the power of God to give us courage to look at those in the eye. Second question, how might we address those? How might we look, look at them in the eye? It may mean that there's some awkward communication coming among us. That would be a good sign that the Spirit is moving and our courage is rising. What would it look like to face issues of justice or equity? Then how might the Spirit 
shape our response? How might the word shape our response? in a way that's countercultural and that deals, takes seriously power and voice and resources. Brothers and sisters, as we find ourselves in the narrative of Acts, as a community coming home to Jesus, expecting that His Word is shaping us and His power is filling us, God may show His power most profoundly in those places that feel awkward, that we might be afraid to address. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, open our eyes, our hearts, our minds to see the dynamics among us. Open our eyes, Lord God. Give us courage to, fake, to face issues, not to fake them. Lord, give us wisdom in responses. And we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would be released among us. Lord, have mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the miraculous growth of your church. Thank you for the invitation that this is our story. Come and renew us. Renew us with your justice, Lord Jesus. For we trust in you. Amen.